If you have a copy of God's Word, uh, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to be at this morning. And as you're making your way into the Scriptures, I trust that you have brought a copy of God's Word, whether it be in print or on your phones. Um, so what is it? Either turn or swipe, right? Turn or swipe to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to look into the Scriptures today. We're going to trust that God is going to meet with us today and speak to us from His Word. As you're making your way there, I heard of a farm boy this week who accidentally overturned uh, his wagon load of wheat on the road. And so a nearby farmer came out to investigate what had happened, and he said, Hey, Willis. Don't worry about this right now. Just come over to our house for dinner for a while. We'll come back I'll, after dinner. I'll help you with the wagon. Willis said, well, that's really nice of you, mister, but I don't think my dad would like it too much. He said, I don't worry about that, son. Just come over to the house, have a bite to eat, and we'll come back. We'll work on this together. And so after dinner, Willis thanked his gracious host. He said, man, I feel so much better now that I have a full stomach, but I know dad is going to be really upset. Ah, don't be silly, said the neighbor. By the way, where is your dad? Oh, he's under the wagon. <laughs> Sometimes we forget what is most important, do we not? Sometimes we lose sight of the purpose. It's easy for us to become distracted in life, look out for only, our own, only for our own interests. And so starting today, through the month of August, I want to bring a series of messages that I'm calling Sheep and Shepherds, God's Design for the Church. And we want to consider what, what God has to say to us regarding His church. Ephesians chapter 3 is our text this morning. And we're going to see that God has put His church on display for all to see. Not for all to see us, but that through the church for all to see our great God in heaven. And so this morning I want us to consider three reasons the church displays the glory of God. Three reasons the church displays the glory of God. And we're going to see in this passage, we're going to see a mystery, and we're going to see a ministry, and we're going to see a message, all right? Uh, and so we're going to walk through this passage and take a look at it. Notice, first of all, this mystery that has been revealed, a mystery revealed. We're going to see this in the first six verses. Four times we're going to come across this word mystery. I want you to take a note of that and pay attention to that. So Paul writes, and he begins here in Ephesians chapter 3, and he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner... For Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery, number one, was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into, number two, the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it, the pronoun, Referencing back to the mystery, the mystery of Christ, as, uh, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, this mystery, number four, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so let's just stop here. Let's just consider what God is saying to us this morning about this mystery that has been revealed when we think of mysteries, we may think of a, the mystery genre, the genre of mystery novels, or we may think of a, a television show like Law and Order where there's been a crime committed and the investigators, there's a mystery surrounding that crime. They have to figure out who committed it, bring it to justice, and things like that. Mystery creates intrigue, it's entertaining. But the word that is used here in Scripture for mystery is not like that. 
As used in the scriptures, mysteries refer to something that has been opened to us by revelation through the Holy Spirit. It's as one person has said, it's an open secret which was what was once hidden from us has now been openly declared and made known. And so we come to understand the truth of what God is saying to us through divine revelation. Paul connects this for us, that this revelation is given to us by God in these opening verses. Unless God reveals to us this mystery, you and I will never understand what, God, what God's purposes are in this world. Uh, we hear oftentimes right now in the media, our politicians, um, Dr. Fauci and others saying this, the science bears it out, right? And we hear that. So they'll be speaking about whether it's social distancing, hand washing, wearing masks, whatever. The science bears it out. And what they're saying is this, is that science is revealing to us, science is directing us on what the course of action should be that we need to take. Now, when it comes to this mystery that has been revealed to us in Scripture, science, learning, our education, our own IQs will never uh, make things clear for us. This mystery that the Scripture is speaking about must be revealed to us by God himself. Notice how Paul made that clear here. In verse 3, the mystery that has been made known by revelation. God is taking the initiative. God is making something that he was hidden in ages past known now. He's revealed this. Verse 4, the mystery of Christ was not known in ages past. Instead, verse 5, it has now been revealed to whom? To the apostles, to the prophets. How? By the Holy Spirit. You say, well, okay, great, Kevin. You're talking about this mystery, uh, something that's been revealed to us. The mystery is a mystery. What is the mystery? Anybody want to know what the mystery is? No, you guys don't care? We only have one seminary student in the church. One seminary student. We have two seminary students, and only one raised their hand, beat you. What's up with that? Verse 6. Look again at verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You say, what is the mystery? The mystery is simply this, that through the gospel, Gentiles are, and notice what the scripture says, fellow heirs, fellow members, fellow partakers. I just want us to think about this. These are three important words. Don't just read these words and begin to kind of let your eyes glaze over and start yawning, right? These are significant concepts that you and I need to understand this morning and appreciate. Fellow heirs, uh, the focus here, uh, a fellow heir, an heir focuses on the gift, right? Uh, you know, he's saying this. He says that Gentiles are fellow heirs. So there's only really two races in the world, right? Gentiles and whom? Jews, right? So Gentiles, through the gospel, are fellow heirs with the Jews. You think of God's promise to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12, and I'm excited about the fall, looking forward to the month of the fall months, as I, I, I believe the Lord is wanting us to take a look at the life of Abraham this fall. And, 
And so I'm, I'm excited, but look, but there when God called Abraham, we said what? He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. In, in, whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. All of the blessings that, that God promised to the, to, the, uh, to the Jewish nation through Father Abraham, the, the Bible says that through the gospel, you and I are heirs now of that promise, right? Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 17, I don't, don't have the verse here on, your, on the screen, but Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says that we are now heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That means that all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has is now yours, is now mine through the gospel. Everything. There isn't second-class Christians through the gospels. You and I who are Gentiles, we share in the gifts of God. And not only are the, through the gospel are Gentiles fellow heirs, but the Bible says that the, Paul says that this mystery here that was hidden in ages past but has now been revealed to the apostles and the prophets is that Gentiles now are not only fellow heirs, but they're also fellow members. And here in this, that word there, members, where the, the translation I'm using here says members of the same body, Paul coins a, a, a new word. And it's used only time here in the, in the New Testament. It's, it's, it's saying that you're, you're together, you're one. There isn't like a team A and a team B. I was thinking about my years at Liberty. Having grown up in Canada, I played a little bit of hockey. And so when I was at Liberty, uh, we started a, a, a club sport hockey at Liberty University. Now, uh, just because I was a Canadian doesn't mean I was very good, right? And so I sat on the bench a lot. I mean, we had these guys from Alaska and Michigan, other guys from Canada. They would play all the time. I'd get mad at the coach, say, Coach, we're winning like 17 to 1. Like, let us, guys who never get a play, play. Uh, you're on the bench. I quit. And then the yearbook came out. And in the yearbook, all the pictures, there's Kevin Barkey. I'm, I'm saying, what, did you guys not watch the games? I sat on the bench. But no, the yearbook, I was the only one in the yearbook for the hockey team. Not oh, the only one, but predominance. No team A, no team B. In God's family, members of uh, the same body. Uh, to, now, in the first century, this was radical thinking. Jews and Gentiles being fellow members, equal members of the same body. Uh, in the Jewish mindset, and the Gentiles had the same opinion, Gentiles, non-Jews, were dogs. It's reported that the Jewish men would begin their prayers during the day, thanking God that they were not sinners, thanking God that they were not women, and thanking God that they were not uh, Gentiles. That is the focus, the mindset. And, and so Paul writes, he says, this mystery that has been hidden in ages past has now been revealed that Gentiles are fellow members of this body, that there isn't a, a class of, that one class of, of believers and another class of believers. And sometimes we still have that class distinction. It may not be Jews and Gentiles, but it's like this. It goes, this is how it works itself out. I, even this week I had a conversation with somebody and and it went like this. I said, well, how, can I pray for you about that? And his response was this. Uh, 
yeah, he'll probably listen to you more than he listens to me. And so what we've done, we've, we've created two levels, right? There's one level that God hears and one level that God might hear. And Paul says that through the gospel, all people who believe in Jesus Christ are members, fellow members of the same body. Uh, and number three, Paul says that through the gospel, uh, Jews, I mean Gentiles are fellow partakers. The focus here is on sharing a possession together. A fellow partakers, Paul says, of the promise in Christ Jesus. You say, what is that promise? Well, you think of how the, Paul has used the word promise in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 and, and chapter 2. He always uses the word promise in reference to the Holy Spirit. That Gentiles are recipients of the same Holy Spirit that the Jews have received who have believed on Jesus Christ. That there isn't one Holy Spirit for one race and a different Holy Spirit for another race. We might say it this way. That God hasn't given his one spirit uniquely to one denomination and his spirit to another denomination in a less manner. You understand that? That God has given his spirit, his Holy Spirit, the promise of his Holy Spirit to where all who have believed in Jesus Christ are fellow partakers of that one promise, the promise of the one Holy Spirit. Now notice what Paul says here at the end of verse 6. That um, the mystery is this, that Gentiles, their fellow heirs, fellow heirs, fellow members, fellow are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The means that all of this becomes a reality in our lives, in anyone's life, is the gospel. Is the gospel. Right? You say, what is the gospel? Uh, I put a couple references up there on the on the note sheet, but there, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, turn with me back in your Bibles a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let's just look at uh, these, these verses here. I want us to uh, just consider, what is the gospel? We need to be clear about this. What is the gospel? Uh, Paul writes in verse 1, he says, now I, rem I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which I stand, and by which you are being saved. So the gospel is the, is the means by our salvation. It's the means in which we stand. If you hold fast to the, to the word that I preach to you. Unless you believed in vain. Seeing it's not enough to know the gospel. You and I must hold fast to the gospel. You say what is it? Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for your sins. In accordance with the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he goes on in verses 5 and following to identify those who Jesus Christ appeared to. That, that his resurrection wasn't just a, a mirage, it wasn't just a hallucination, but that there was verifiable evidence that Jesus Christ came out of the tomb alive. He said, what is the gospel? First of all, the gospel rests on the death of Jesus Christ. It says that he, he died for our sins. Meaning that the death of Jesus Christ is substitutionary. This is the gospel. The gospel starts here that, that Jesus Christ died on our behalf for our sins. It was that in the, in the gospel that the wrath of God was fully satisfied through the death 
of Jesus Christ. He was put to death for our sins. Paul goes on to say that he was buried. There was no coming back from this. There was no way that anyone could say, well, Jesus Christ, all he needed was a few days to be resuscitated. No, he wasn't laid in a cold room to be resuscitated. He was buried. He was dead. And he was in the tomb for three days, the Bible says. The Jewish mindset was that the, the spirit remained in the body for three days and it left the body on the third day. So what the gospel is saying this is that Jesus Christ was not only dead, but he was dead dead. That he was gone. His spirit was gone. And he was raised to life. The resurrection is what separates uh, the gospel uh, from every, the Christian faith from every other faith. It's, it's what makes the gospel unique. As we're going to see here in a moment here at the end in verse 13. It's what gives us heart in difficult times. The thing of the young man that I I was talking with this week, and he said, uh, well, you, you can pray for me. Maybe God will listen to you. He doesn't listen to me. As he you know, was pouring out his heart, he was saying, um, why doesn't God do this? Why doesn't God answer this? Why doesn't God provide the help here? And those are hard questions. They're not necessarily an easy answer to that, but if you... Give up on Christ. And say, well, I'm going to bail on Jesus because it sure doesn't seem like this is making a difference. What do you have? We have nothing. We have nothing. And so why do we keep believing in difficult times? Why do we keep pressing on when it seems like um, life doesn't seem to be improving or changing for the better? Why? Because of the resurrection. It's the resurrection that gives us the hope. And it's all of that is contained in the gospel. And so here's the point that Paul is making. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 3, the point that Paul is making to us in Ephesians chapter 3 is this. It is because of the gospel that the people of God are no longer identified or defined rather by race, but by grace. The people of God were no longer identified by our skin color. We're no longer identified by our backgrounds, but we're identified by, by grace alone. And we may, you and I who live 2,000 years away from this controversy that was so deep in the first century, we might be yawning through it right now, but let's not lose sight of this, that this mystery of the gospel is still as potent and important today as it was 2,000 years ago when, when God inspired Paul to write these words. I read this week of a missionary who was serving in the country of Nepal and he was trekking up through the Himalayan mountains and he stopped overnight in a remote village and he was camping outside the village and built a campfire. Some of the children came to him and they began to converse together and, and he asked them if God loved their village. You know what the kid said? No. God doesn't love our village. God probably doesn't even know that our village is here. They need to hear of the mystery that is in Christ, that they could be fellow heirs, fellow members, fellow partakers of in Christ through the gospel. And how many today, even here in America, who were surrounded by churches and a proliferation of scripture and, and uh, 
media outlets where we can hear the gospel over and over again, and yet we think, oh no. God doesn't care. God doesn't know. God doesn't love. How oh, we need to know this truth. I read of a medical doctor, uh, of a doctor taking a medical trip to remote parts of Asia, and one night he and the team members were um, laying in their bunks, staying in a house in a, in a, in a local village with no hotels, obviously, and their, their, their sleeping place was in the thatch on the, on the floor up above, you know, the house was built on stilts, and they're up in the, up in, and underneath the stilt area was the grandparents talking, very much aware of their own sins. As Hindus, they had to take their sins seriously because they believed that their sin would always be worked back into karma. What could they do to get rid of their sins? They had no idea of God's grace and what Jesus had done for them and the forgiveness of sins. They needed to hear the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. Or rather, the mystery of the church in the gospel is where Jews and Gentiles, whites and blacks, Republicans and Democrats, Hindus, former Hindus and former Muslims and materialistic Americans, we come together and through the gospel we're made one. That's the mystery. It says one commentator said, God is creating a third race, the church. And it is through the church that God displays his wonder to this world. So we see a mystery that has been revealed. Secondly, we see a ministry assigned. A ministry assigned. Um, just as in verses 1 through 6, uh, focused on a mystery, verses 7 through 8, we, there's, there's a focus on a, on, a, on a ministry assignment. And so look at what, what Paul writes there in verse 7. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, through, though I'm very, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. We'll stop right there in the middle part of verse 8. Verse 7, Paul said, I was made a minister. You say, what's a minister? Some might say, well, a minister is somebody who stands up and preaches the Bible. No, that's not what a minister is. A minister. <clears throat> you see the word there, the Greek word there is diakonos. We, we can hear our, Greek, our English word for deacon in that word. A minister is a servant, a Technical word was to refer to someone who served as a waiter of tables, would tend to the needs of others. A servant was one who would fulfill the commands of his authority, right? And Paul says, I have been made a minister. I have been called, I've been set apart to fulfill the commands of the one who is over me. He says, I've been made a minister of what? I have been made a minister of this gospel, he said in verse 7. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To the Corinthians, Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Here was a church that was taking up sides. Some of the church was going, hey, uh, we're following Kevin. Other side of the church would say, no, we're going to follow Drew. 
And so, you know, you know, uh, uh, remember that chant you guys would, you know, uh, I can't remember the chant. I'm just drawing a blank on it right now. Anyways, but, you know, we're of Paul. We're, we're of Apollos. No, Paul says, no, that's, that, that's craziness. You, you can't draw up sides like that. We're, who are we? We're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each of us. And this ministry assignment was just not for Paul and Apollos. The ministry of the gospel is for all believers. When God saved you, when God saves anyone, he assigns us. And your assignment is unique to you. Not everyone has been called to serve the gospel by preaching or by being a missionary or by being a teacher in a Bible class. But all of us have been called to be servants of the gospel. 20 years ago, I guess longer than that, 25 years ago, uh, New Tribes missionaries Martin and Marsha Burnham, they were in the Philippines, they were kidnapped by a, 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 a terrorist group and they were held as prisoners for 376 days. Martin would actually die in captivity. Uh, during their, their year-long captivity, Martin was often used as a beast of burden to carry the terrorist supplies over a treacherous terrain. But while bearing the loads, he never complained. He viewed his servitude as a calling from God and an opportunity for the gospel. The, the, uh, the Burnhams, they, were, uh, they became increasingly malnourished and underfed. And yet, when they were given a meal, oftentimes they would share their meal with their captors. At one point, Martin repaired a, a satellite phone for his captors. His wife said, asked him why he was doing this, and he said to his wife, the Bible says to serve the Lord with gladness. Let's go all the way. Let's go all the way and serve him with gladness. And the evidence of their resolve became evident to their captors. Um, it, it became evident at night when their captors would um, chain him up for the night each of them hated having to have drawn the short stick to chain Martin up. Why? Because as they were chaining him, he would thank them. And then he would take the evening to share, patiently share the gospel with his Muslim captors. See, Martin Burnham was living his life as a prisoner, viewing that situation as God's call to be a servant of the mystery of the gospel to these lost souls. How do you see yourself? What do you see as your mission in this life? And Paul says, I have been made a minister of the gospel. And notice, secondly, he says, I was made a minister according to the grace, according to God's grace. Uh, <clears throat> the reason Paul was given his assignment was not because he had a lot of intellectual capabilities, not like he was trained, not because he um, had a bright mind, or whatever reason we might attribute to Paul, his ministry, his assignment, his service was assigned to him according to God's grace. Verse 8, Paul says, uh, I'm the least of all the saints. The name Paul means small. It was as Paul was saying, listen, I, I, I'm small Paul among the rest of the believers. He wasn't just demonstrating false humility. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he would say, for I'm the least of all the apostles. 
unworthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Later on, as he ended his, uh, came to the end of his life, he wrote right to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, this, is a tr- this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came um, to say, into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. You see the digression where Paul went? He, I'm the least of all the saints. I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm the chief of all sinners. What was he saying? He couldn't get over the grace of God, that God's grace had assigned him. See, when it comes to your ministry assignment, here's the point. It's not your ability that matters, it's your availability that matters. Not your ability, but your availability. And the question this morning is, are you available? Are you available to the Lord? And are you obedient to the Lord? Are you willing to say to the Lord, Lord, use me. Lord, here's the, here's the day. Here's my life to this day. However you want to use me, I'm yours. Whatever you want to use me this week, I, however you want to use me, whatever, the, maybe like the Burnhams, or, or, you know, 376 days in captivity at the hands of a terrorist group. Okay, that's the assignment for today. But I'm your servant, a servant for your gospel's sake. Are we willing to surrender ourselves that way to the Lord Jesus Christ? See, the the church displays the glory of God because the mystery of the gospel has taken people from all races, all backgrounds, and he places us into one body. And the church displays the glory of God because God sees fit to use people like Paul and people like you and people like me to be servants of his gospel, the servants of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there's a third way that the church displays the gospel or displays the glory of God. And that is that there is a message proclaimed. A message proclaimed. Look at verses 8 down through verse, the middle of verse 8 down to verse 12. Why was Paul given that assignment? Look what he says. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plain mystery hidden for the ages, for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This, this revelation, this manifestation of God's wisdom was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we who have believed on Jesus Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Man, we could spend so much time just thinking about these verses. But let's think about this. What was the message that, to whom was the message, and what was the message that needed to be proclaimed? To the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of God. Or or rather, the unsearchable riches of Christ. You think about the unsearchable riches. The unsearchable riches, the unfathomable, the untraceable. It's like you, you, you can't draw a map. You, you can't go from point A to point B with the rich, tracing out the riches of Christ. The, the riches are, of God are too vast. They're incomprehensible. They're incomparable. The riches of Christ can never be plumbed. They can never be exhausted. You say, what are these riches? Have you thought about the riches that are in Christ? The 
the forgiveness of sin. The hope of heaven. The power of God working in your life to to set you free from um, the addictions and the broken habits of your life. The empty habits of your life. the, The empty ways, the futile ways of your life. The one who gives you purpose and meaning in life. To know the the presence of God, to to see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, to to know the the person of God in a very real way. Think of a man, we're we're just scratching the surface on the riches, right? The riches are, uh, you, you you can't trace them. We're just getting started. We might do as well. This week, just to be thinking every day, what are the riches that are mine in Christ? And meditate upon these things. To the Gentiles, to to those who were, as Paul would say in in Ephesians chapter 2, you at one time were alienated from God. You were separated from the covenants of God. You were in this world without God, without hope. That's what he said in chapter 2. He says now in chapter 3, he says, "I I have been my assignment has been to take this gospel to the Gentiles who, who have no hope, who have no knowledge of God, and make known to them the unsearchable, the untraceable, the incomprehensible, incomparable riches of Jesus Christ. I think of a young man who said, don't preach the gospel to me. I have enough problems on my own. Jesus Christ only adds to our life. He only enriches our lives Paul says, to the Gentiles, I was called to preach. To the everyone else, to the world, I'm to bring to light the hidden plan of God. The hidden plan of God. The church, the, the mystery of God is not to be tucked away in a corner. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you are a light, you are the light of the world. The church and the gospel is what the world needs. Now think about us, Fellowship Baptist Church. With all the foils and the foibles that we have, Saginaw needs our church. Saginaw needs you and I to live out the the gospel message like never before. Not only our city, but the world through Fellowship Baptist Church needs to see and know the gospel. And finally, uh, how will that happen? Let me just just move on. Uh, To the angels... Uh, the manifold wisdom of God, verse 10. To the Gentiles, the riches of Christ. To the world, the hidden plan of God. To the angels, the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold, multicolored, uh, the, the beautiful array of God's wisdom on display. I don't have time to go deeper into this, but a quote by John Stott I think will help us understand this. It is through the old creation, the universe, this world, that God reveals his glory to all of of humanity. Psalm chapter 8. It is through the new creation, the church, that God reveals his wisdom to the angels. All of that is what God is doing through the church in this world today. That he is putting himself on display through the church. And so Paul ends, where I want to end this morning, in verse um, 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering 
for you, which is your glory. Paul said, I'm asking you not to lose heart. I'm pleading with you. I'm urging you, don't lose heart. Reasons for losing heart? Oh, there are many, aren't there not? Are there not? Many reasons to lose heart. For the Ephesians, it was easy for them to lose heart because of the sufferings of Paul. Paul was in prison. Paul had brought the gospel to the city of Ephesus. And now he was in prison. Does the gospel really have power? Does God really take care of his servants? And Paul would say, don't lose heart because of what I'm suffering. Why? Because of the mystery of the gospel. Don't lose heart. Have you lost heart? Have you lost heart? Have you lost heart because of unanswered prayers? Have you lost heart because of all the turmoil that's going on in our nation? All the civil unrest and the uncertainty of the political future of our nation? Have you lost heart? Have you lost heart because of of the problems that are bearing into your life? Have you, let me speak to us as a church body. Have you lost heart because of the challenges that we have faced as a church body? Have we lost heart? I was, I was just meditating upon this for the past couple of weeks, just not losing heart and, and thinking about us as a church body. Yes, fellowship is, we're not what we once were. But God has not changed. And so we, lose, we don't lose heart because of who God is. And we continue on and we're going to be faithful to what He has called us to be. And so this week, I want to give us an assignment. You guys ready for an assignment? <laughs> Did the principal say that? Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, li- I like when the principal's ready for an assignment. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to pray, to begin to pray in earnest this week that God would begin to reveal to us in greater clarity His plan for our church. As we think about... Um, how we care for one another within the congregation, and as we think of our city, our community, how we take the gospel out, what is God asking us to do? This isn't... Sometimes God reveals that directly to the leaders, but God also reveals His will to His people. But we need to be listening. And so I want to challenge you to begin to pray this week in earnest. Lord, what is it that you want us to be doing as a church? What is it that you want us, how do you want us to minister to our congregation? How do you want us to minister to our community? And as you begin to pray in earnest, begin to listen. What does the Lord begin to say to you? I, I ask, write that down. If you're like me, you'll forget it. Write it down. And let's just begin to listen to how God begins to lead us. And make it personal, Lord. What is the ministry assignment that you have for me? What is the part that you want me to play in your kingdom work here in in our city through this local church? As you begin to listen, begin to notice what are the opportunities that God begins to show up 
uh, begin to bring to light? What, what are some of the uh, needs that begin to surface? What are some of the burdens that begin to become birthed in your heart? Begin to take note of those things. Why? Paul says, I ask you in this world not to lose heart. You and I, we have received the gospel. We have believed the gospel. God has made us fellow members, fellow heirs, fellow partakers of the promise. He has an assignment for us. Let us be faithful in that, not losing heart in what he's called us to do.